It's amazing the way that people can find hope in the darkest of moments. A couple of months ago, uh, Philip sent me a video uh, from a pastor in the north who'd been in intensive care in COVID-19. Maybe you saw this video yourself. It was shared quite a lot in, in social media. But I think it's worth another look. This guy was seriously ill, struggling and alone in isolation and crying out to God for help. But it was then that God sent hope in the most unusual way. So have a look at this case. When no one else was allowed in, God sent a cleaner. And all of a sudden this cleaner had come in. And there have been cleaners in before this. But this cleaner had come in. And he was like a ray of sunshine. And he began to chat to me. And he asked me how I was. And he began to talk to me and say to me <clears throat> about about hanging in there. And then we got chatting and we got talking and he and he turned around and he, and, and he said to me that he was a missionary in Nigeria for 14 years. And he began to tell me how God had saved many, many souls through his ministry. And how God had used him over the years to reach people. And here he is, now a cleaner. And he's encouraged my heart. He left that den and he says this as he stood at the door. He says, son, can I pray for you? And I says, absolutely. Then that night, I remember, I started to turn around. Could it have been the prayer of a cleaner? I don't know. That night, I began to desire a packet of prawn cocktail crisps, kiddo. And I asked the Lord, because no one could get to me. And I says, Lord, is it possible that you could get me a packet of prawn cocktail crisps and a tin of Coke? Because that night I began to turn. And as I, that night, lay and just asked that question, I says, Lord, I'd love a packet of prawn cocktail. The next day, the next morning, the cleaner came. He brought in a bag, and in that bag was two oranges, ten of Coke, and a packet of prawn cocktail crisps. Tito, don't tell me that God doesn't know. God knows our every need. Isn't that amazing how God can bring hope? even in the darkest of times, through the, the strangest of, of means, even a, a bag of crisps uh, and a tin of coke. But there's no, this is, that's nothing compared to what God did at the place called Golgotha. This was the darkest of times. And yet in that place, there comes an amazing message of hope. So this morning, we're going to read uh, from John chapter 19 and verse 16 to verse 27. And we're going to find that message of hope in dark times. Finally, Pilate handed handed him over to them to be crucified. 
So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skulls, which in Aramaic is called Gotha. Here they, they crucified him, and with two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What do I have, what, ha- what I have written, I have written. When the doctors, when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, divided them into four shares, one for each of them, with the under, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, They divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clubhouse, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Golgotha means the place of the skull. Presumably, this was because this hill with its barren top looked like a skull in some way. But it was aptly named because it was a place of horrific suffering and death. Verse 18 of our reading says, Here they crucified him. The Jewish historian Josephus said that crucifixion was the most wretched of deaths. The Roman Cicero called it a most cruel and terrible penalty. It was so dreadful that a Roman citizen was prohibited from ever being crucified, no matter how heinous his crimes. There Jesus was stripped of all of his clothes, then his arms were stretched out and nailed to that horizontal beam. And then this beam was probably lifted up and fixed to one of the vertical stakes that stood there at Golgotha. And then his feet were nailed in place. And Jesus hung there in excruciating agony and shame. Betrayed by a friend. Deserted by his followers. Rejected by his people. Ridiculed by all who passed by. And cursed by God. How could anything good come from this? Surely this was the darkest of moments. A miscarriage of justice, a brutal death, a tragic disaster. And yet, despite how all of this looked, amazingly, this place of the skull is actually a place of hope. 
Right here, in the middle of the suffering, the cruelty, the pain, is a message of salvation and encouragement and love. In our reading, John provides much of the eyewitness details of that day. He was there, and the memory of those events would be forever imprinted on his mind. But these are not trivial details. They also speak so powerfully to us as we think about how the, the significance of that, that event. One of these details that we read, uh, verse 17, was that Jesus went to Golgotha carrying his own cross. Now this was a common practice for those who were condemned to crucifixion. They'd carry the horizontal beams through the city to the place of execution. But for Jesus, this was deeply significant. Many years earlier, in Abraham, he took his son Isaac up Mount Moriah, the hill on which Jerusalem was later built. And they were going there to make a sacrifice to God. Now Isaac didn't know at the time, but he was going to be that sacrifice. And as they headed up the mountain, Genesis 22 and 6 says, Abram took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. He put the wood for that sacrifice on Isaac. Now of course, Isaac, at that time, he was rescued at the last moment. As Abraham had told his son that God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. But there was no supernatural intervention for Jesus, the Son of God. He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He willingly carried that cross as a willing sacrifice to die for you and for me. To pay for our sins. To offer us full and free forgiveness. To give his life. To give us life in all its fullness. And this is emphasized by another detail that, that John mentions here. Jesus carried his cross outside of Jerusalem. Verse 17, that he went out to the place of the skull. Now again, this was a usual custom for Romans. To crucify people outside of the city. But again, this is significant when it comes to Jesus. The writer of Hebrews recognised this, that this pointed back to the sin offering in the Old Covenant. So Hebrews chapter 13 says, The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies, the bodies of those animal sacrifices, they are burned outside the camp. So, and so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate. To make the people holy through his own blood. So just as that sin offering, the, the body of that animal was burned outside the camp, so Jesus had to go outside of the city gate to become the sin offering for each of us. So Golgotha is a place of hope. Because it's there that Jesus paid for our forgiveness and offers us salvation. And if we want to experience that 
abundant life, then we need to follow Jesus' example. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23 says this, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now some people talk about this whole idea of carrying your cross as if it's about the struggling of, of a, maybe a difficult illness or a difficult relationship or difficult circumstances or some other difficulty in your life. They say things like, oh that guy, he's got a, he's got a heavy cross to bear because of a difficult circumstance. But that's not what the cross was for Jesus. When Jesus carried the cross, he was walking to his death. He was, as it were, a dead man walking. And so Jesus here is calling everyone who follows him to deny themselves and to die to themselves. This is not in order to pay for their sins. Jesus' sacrifice accomplished this once and for all. But this is so that we can live out the life that Jesus died to give us. So this is a picture of what it means to be a Christian. It is someone who's put their trust in Jesus as their Saviour and their Lord. And so each day they repent, they turn their back on serving themselves and doing what they want. And instead they accept that Jesus is the Lord of every decision, every plan, every relationship, every aspect of their lives. It's about offering ourselves as living sacrifices to God each and every day of our lives. And of course there's a cost involved in this. Carrying our cross means that we reject what we want. But it also means that we face the rejection of the world. This is what the writer of Hebrews brought out from this picture of Jesus going outside of the city in order to to take upon himself our sins. He goes on to say, let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. So there's a cost involved in following Jesus. It's about carrying our cross. It's about going outside and facing the rejection of the world. But it's worth it. It's always 100% worth it. Because in doing this, it is in doing this that we live life to the full. This is what Jesus went on to say in Luke chapter 9 verse 24. He says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. If we hold on to our lives for ourselves, if we demand our plans, our goals, our will, our ambition, then we'll end up losing everything. But if we give our lives to Jesus, if we trust in his atoning sacrifice for our sins, if we accept him as Lord of our lives, then we will receive his forgiveness, his acceptance, his love, his adoption into God's family, his direct access to God, true freedom, fulfillment and purpose in our lives. And we'll have the certainty of sharing in his glory in heaven. It's in losing our lives for Jesus 
that we find true life. It was normal for the Romans, when they crucified someone, to attach a sign with his name and his crime on it. But that sign that Pilate placed on Jesus' cross was deeply significant. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now, of course, I think Pilate did this, in part at least, to annoy the Jewish leaders. And it worked. They came back and asked him to change what he wrote, so it would read, not that he is the King of the Jews, but he claimed to be the King of the Jews. But for once, Pilate stood his ground. And he refused. What I have written, I have written, he said. Maybe he was just trying to insult and embarrass them. Or maybe it was because he really believed that Jesus was somebody special. But whatever Pilate meant when he wrote that sign, he declared something far more than even he understood. Dying on that cross was indeed the king of the Jews. Not the king that they expected, but the king who was laying down his life for those who rejected him, for those who hated him, for those who rebelled against him. All so that they could be welcomed into his kingdom. And John wrote his gospel so that we would accept this truth that Pilate declared here. Remember John chapter 20 verse 20, verse 31? These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. But this is not just good news for the Jewish nation. This is good news for the whole world. Did you notice verse 20, that the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin and Greek? Pilate wrote that sign for the cross so that everybody could read it. Aramaic was the the common language of the nation of, of Israel. Latin was the language of the Romans. Greek, well that was the the common language, that was the international language, the, the language used to communicate between nations and cultures. So Golgotha is the place where everyone could go and see Jesus lifted up as the king of the Jews. And that's what Jesus said. He said, but but I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. So in an age where the ugliness of racism and prejudice is again in sharp focus, we can rejoice that the truth of the gospel is good news for everyone. That's because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So it doesn't matter who we are, where we're from, what we look like, what we have or haven't done. God loves us all. And Jesus died for us all. And the offer of salvation is given to us all. And whoever we are, 
If we have put our trust in Jesus, we are equally accepted, equally adopted, equally welcomed as children of God into one family, one body. And so there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And so this is the mission of the church. It is to take that good news that is for everybody to this world. This is what Jesus commissioned his disciples to do. To go and make disciples of all nations. And this is the mission that started on the day of Pentecost. Remember when the Holy Spirit was given to the church? The apostles were given the ability to speak in other languages. And so the crowd that was made up of Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Cretans and Arabs, all of these different people from all these different parts of the world, they could all say that we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Why was that? Well, because this good news of Jesus is for everybody. It is for the whole world. And this mission of sharing that good news with the world has continued up to now. Men and women have given themselves to taking this good news to people of all nations and tribes and cultures. And we are called to be part of that mission here in Enniscorthy and beyond to this world. We're called to reach out to people of all ethnic groups, backgrounds and lifestyles. To declare God's unfailing love for them and his wonderful offer of salvation for all of them. And we can do that with the confident hope that one day, that mission will be complete. In the book of Revelation and his vision, John saw in heaven a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe and people and language. Standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. So Pilate had a notice prepared and fixed to that cross that declared the gospel to the nations. But he wasn't the only one who did more than they realised that day. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. Now this again was normal for these four soldiers to do. They'd been tasked with the execution of this man and a kind of horrible perk of the job, was to divide his possessions between them. 
So they stripped Jesus and divided up his clothes, probably each getting either his outer robe, his sandals, his belt, or his head covering. But then they were left with this undergarment. And this garment was seamless, woven in one piece from the top to the bottom. And the natural thing would be to cut it into four. But they didn't want to tear it. And so instead they gambled for it. Now some people have suggested that John wants us to see in this detail that Jesus is our high priest. That's because in Leviticus chapter 21, the high priest that says must not let his hair become, become unkempt or tear his clothes. You know, tearing clothes was, was the normal thing to do when they were mourning. But the high priest wasn't allowed to do this. And so some people think that John was pointing to this fact. That Jesus' garment was, undergarment was not torn because he is the high priest. And the book of Hebrews especially presents Jesus to us as the last and greatest high priest. The one who finally and fully provided forgiveness of sins. Because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. But in the stripping of Jesus... I think we're also supposed to remember that just the previous night, Jesus had gone up, got up from that meal with his disciples and took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. So that night, Jesus laid aside his clothes in order to lovingly serve his disciples. And at Golgotha, Jesus did the same. Laying aside not just his clothes, but his majesty, his glory, as the ultimate act of service for those he loved. Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8 says this, that he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, And being made in in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. But John explains something more here. In dividing those garments and gambling for his tunic, these these, these soldiers, sorry, they were doing what God had planned all along. Verse 24 says, this This happened that the scriptures might be fulfilled, which said, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for, the, for my clothing. The Jews may have been the ones who arrested Jesus. Pilate may have condemned him. The soldiers may have took charge and, and crucified him. But it was God who was in control of all of this. As apostles prayed to God, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. These events might have looked like a disaster. This might have felt like the darkest of moments. But in this disaster, God was in charge. He was working in this for our good. For his glory. And we can trust that he is doing the same in our lives. 
Romans 8 and 28 says, In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God is working for our good. Of course, it doesn't always look like this. Often it doesn't look like this. Things happen in our lives that appear to be disastrous. Tragic accidents, unjust attacks, painful problems. We might feel as if our lives are falling apart. And yet, if we love God, and if we know that we've been called according to his purpose, then we we do not need to panic. Instead, we can hold on to that hope, that sure and certain hope that no matter what happens, God is always in control and he is always working for our good. So in this dark moment, Jesus knew that God was in control. He was working for our good. But that didn't mean he was insensitive to the the personal pain of those who were watching. There were a few faithful followers who remained at the cross. John, a number of women. One of those was his mum. And so to his mum, Jesus said, Dear woman, here is your son. And to John, he said, here is your mother. Now these words didn't solve any of the huge problems in this world. In a sense, they were not essential to his mission of salvation. All he was doing was entrusting his mum into the hands of his faithful follower. As the eldest son, he was ensuring that his mum would be supported and provided for during the next few hours and days. But his words expressed God's personal love for individuals and their personal burdens and personal cares. Some things you might think that the problems and the difficulties are, that our problems and difficulties are, they're too small, too insignificant for God to worry about. After all, he's a whole world of need and problems to solve. Surely it's wrong for him, for us to ask him to work in our lives for our small and insignificant problems when he has the whole world to look after. But on the cross, Jesus showed us that not only is God powerful enough to defeat the forces of evil and overcome the big issues in this world, he also loves us enough to care about the small, the personal, the seemingly insignificant issues that we are facing ourselves. The cross says to us that nothing is too big for God to handle and also that there's nothing too small for God to care about. And so we need to listen to what Paul Peter says as he tells us to cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And that's what we're going to do in just a a minute or two uh, as we spend some time in prayer together. So this is what this place is about. This place was called the place of the skull, Golgotha. It was a place of cruelty, of pain and of death. And yet that day, Jesus turned it into a place of hope. In carrying his cross, Jesus set as an example to follow so that we could enter into his life. 
In the notice above his head, we see that because of Jesus, there is good news for everyone. Wherever we are from, whatever we look like. In the gambling soldiers, we are reminded that God is in control. That even in the darkest of times, he is working for our good. And in providing for his mum, we see his care for individuals, no matter how small or insignificant we may feel. So folks, my prayer is today that we will hold on to this hope, even in our darkest of moments. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for this message of hope. For, for the darkest times in our lives. Thank you that we can see that even although this was, this, this day seemed to be the darkest of times as Jesus our Lord and Saviour was crucified on the cross, that it was actually the day where you provided salvation and forgiveness and redemption and adoption for each one of us. How that you turned that around and you, you worked for good even in that dark time. And Lord, help us to hold on to that truth as well. That even in the dark times in our lives, even in the times of struggle, even in the times of difficulty, that you can break into that. That you are working for our good and for your glory. That you are working in those times, maybe to to reveal your glory, to reveal your compassion, to reveal your truth to us, or even to give us opportunities to share this good news with those around us, because we believe that you want to comfort our hearts eh, with this comfort, this hope, so that we can pass on this comfort and hope to others. So Lord, we just pray that you'll help us to hold on to this hope, help us not lose sight of Jesus on the cross, dying for us. Help us to see him there. Help us to fix our eyes on him. And help us to trust in him. No matter what is happening, that he loves us, that he cares about us, our individual needs and problems, that he can overcome the biggest issues. Because he died for us. Paying for for our sin with his own blood. Setting us free. Bringing us into your kingdom. And and saving us and rescuing us for all eternity. Father, we just thank you for Jesus and in his willingness to go to the cross for each and every one of us. And Lord, help us to follow in his example today and to love him and to worship him 